here <laughs> live from salt lake city utah this is heart of the matter where we do all we can to worship god in spirit and in truth and sometimes with a little humor uh well folks we are still here i realize that this month is the beginning of the end for many people and some say it's not going to happen until september 23rd so we've got a few weeks before god comes and wipes out the entire world and uh, so I feel grateful to be still here and talking with you and discussing the whole thing. Uh, but I do believe in the annals of world history, if ever there was a time, a month in a given year, ever, that Jesus was supposed to turn, return from 70 AD to the present, it would be this month. So um, let's give it our all. Let's keep thinking. Let's keep looking. It's going to be this month if it's ever going to happen. And then if it doesn't happen, join us on October 2nd, a Friday night at seven o'clock for the thank God Jesus didn't come back and kill us all party. We will have refreshments, a good time. It will be rapturous. <laughs> oh, I am so bad. I mean, if it happens, I am, I am done for. I realize that. <laughs> Listen, but in, a, in talk, all this talk about stuff, we are doing something that's pretty fun and serious. We're bringing in Dr. Don K. Preston this Friday night to educate, answer your questions from a biblical perspective. Uh, come and ask your tough stuff. It's your chance. Then on Saturday morning, so that's Friday night from 7 to 9. Uh, be here early at the campus uh, church studio and uh, you'll be able to hear him teach us and then ask your questions. Then Saturday morning from 9 to 11 a.m., he's going to give a different subject uh, in the same area, but a different approach, and then we'll have more questions and we'll have uh, time then. And then uh, last week, I got a call from uh, Don Preston, and he, we have a new development, and that is Pastor Jason Wallace of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Magna, Utah, who you may recognize, he's been with us before when he challenged me on uh, the visible church and authority, things like that. Uh, he has called, he contacted uh, uh, Pastor Don, or Don, and he said, I wanna debate you. I'm gonna debate you. And, and Don said, okay, we'll, we'll debate. That's gonna be here Saturday night, 6.30. So we're gonna have a Orthodox Presbyterian pastor, Pastor Jason Wallace. He knows his scripture and he is a amillennialist, partial preterist, and he is going to show how the Bible does not teach what Dr. Don uh, Preston is going to suggest it teach, teaches. I think it's going to be really interesting. So there's three opportunities coming up. Friday, 7 to 9, Saturday, 9 to 11 a.m., and Saturday night, 6.30 till whenever, you know, 8, 8.30, whenever, as long as it goes. So uh, I specifically challenge all Calvary Chapel 
uh, people, folk, to come. There are other preterists. They've existed for centuries. Uh, and they uh, don't need to come, of course. They, they believe the things. But if you're a Calvary Chapel, especially because they have forever been focusing on the futuristic, Jesus is coming, rapture, get yourself ready. And so I challenge them. I challenge every person who's expecting Jesus to return soon to come. I challenge every Latter-day Saint. I hope Latter-day Saints will come because the LDS have a similar end-time view. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. And let's once and for all put this beast to bed so that we can come to a unity of the faith. Now, uh, before we go to the word, Seth has put up on the website uh, some information on how to do things. Seth, show it. So look at that. There we are. This week's show, it's called The Keystone. And then you go down, and then there's Don K. Preston Preterism. So he has, he's, you click on that. And then up comes, uh, it gives you the details and the address and when he's going to be here. And then it's all set to watch any of the three events that's going to be coming up with Don Preston. The morning, I mean the Friday night, the Saturday morning, or the Saturday evening events. So if you're watching from at home or around the world, different parts of the U.S., you can go to the site and you just click on Don K. Preston and there it is and you're going to be able to bring those up and watch. And then we hope you will call during those times because we're going to live stream and bring your questions and we'll be recording those and we might not, we may not let you talk. We may just get your question and repeat it or we may let you talk. We have to decide on that. One last thing, they can answer, ask questions also. Seth, we bring that back up? Can they do that? Yeah. He set it up so that you can pre-type your question in right there and submit a comment. So you can say, Dr. Uh, Preston, I don't believe this premise that you're here is why. And give us a really one or two concise, don't give us this big laundry list. We're never going to read it. But give us a good concise question. This is why I absolutely refuse preterism and give the passage or whatever. So uh, we're giving that to you so that you have that and we can use it when he shows up. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. We've been going through the New Testament and looking for verses that support subjective Christianity. The whole idea behind even naming it which I think really that's really just the biblical definition is to help us come to a unity of the faith. When we realize that we are all going to see things differently, then we will come to peace and the unity of the faith and we can get rid of the divisions that have long existed. So we're going through Colossians tonight and I have about five verses or sections of verses. Colossians 1:27 says, to whom God would make known to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I just mentioned that because it's Christ in us, and God will make that known. We don't have to worry about all the other things. I'm just showing this as one example. Who makes it the glory known of this mystery? God does, not men. In Colossians 2, 1 through 2, Paul says, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that, that what? 
that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. And unto all riches, a full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ. And so here we have a petition that from Paul that our hearts be knit together in love. Now that theme is all through the New Testament, but we die to, uh, when we die to division, and we realize people have different views, but we die to those and we, we let our hearts be united in love. That's the key. Uh, Colossians 2, 4 through 10 says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's all Christ. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ, that you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And then Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It's a little bit longer, but just listen. Listen to what it says. Paul says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in what you drink, or in respect of any holy days, or of new moons, or of blood moons, sorry, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man, again he repeats, beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, which is Christ, and all the body and joints and bands having nourished, ministered, and knit together. You see that theme that's going on, this being knit together. Increaseth with the increase of God. Whereof, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Why are you still subjecting each other to ordinances? And there's this parenthetical reference there. He says, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men, which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship, and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfaction of the flesh. And all he's saying there is, look at, don't be beguiled in all these doctrines and what you can touch and what you can taste and what you can eat and what you can wear. It, be knit together. Let, let this thing be, the, be away from the fundamentals and rudiments of the world. Be knit together in love. And, and even these things that people will come up with, they look like they're full of wisdom when it comes to worship and neglecting of the body and all these things. And he says, just let all that go, okay? Colossians 3, 1 through 3, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, he repeats not on things in the earth, of the earth, on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. 
That's a great line, that we are hid with Christ in God. So in Him we walk, we are with Him. We don't have to argue about the things here. We just look to the things there, which are, which are faith and love. And then finally, two more. Colossians 3.12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, and here are the things He wants you to put on, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. That means we allow people to be who they are and be different, have different opinions, and to be annoying and to be uh, uh, really easy to get along. We forbear each other, forgiving one another. And he says, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love. That's agapeo, which is the per bond of perfectness. So we're talking about churches. We don't need to be dividing over the doctrine. Put on the bond of love. That's the perfection of the body, which is what we're trying to uh, help accomplish. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God, to which also you were called in one body, be ye thankful. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And the last verse, Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Listen. As to the Lord and not unto men. There it is. So with that, how about a word of prayer tonight by Larry Wayne. Our Father and our God, we uh, praise you through uh, your Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We ask you, we're dedicating this program to your glory and honor. We ask be with Sean as he presents his program tonight and be with each person here in attendance and everybody out watching um, the, the recorded shows and the live shows. Uh, we praise you and uh, glorify your name. Amen. Amen, my brother. Thank you, Larry. All right. So do you know what we've done? Do you, do you know? Um, can you see it yet? Has it become apparent to you yet? Listen, it's always been the same. You can go back 10 years and watch. The message has been the same. Can you see how it's come about? We started, listen, in Mormonism, we plainly said, amidst all of our attacks, we plainly and always said, one, there are LDS people who are better Christians than I ever hoped to be. Always said that. Two, that if people wanted to remain LDS, they could, giving them that liberty and freedom, knowing that would be very, very hard to do once they came to know the truth. And three, that our purpose was to get LDS people to know who Jesus was through spiritual rebirth. Those were three principles we started out on, and we have stuck by those. And then we rip the heck out of the unacceptable things in the faith based on the institution and history and its practice. 
but we maintain those three points the whole time. Were you aware of this? Do you remember this? Local evangelical leaders remember it because they hated it behind the scenes, but they knew people were leaving Mormonism and coming to their pews, so they didn't fight it. They, allowed, they used to kind of complain a little bit about born-again Mormon and stay in the church. There was some of that, but after a while, I was just like, we're seeing people come out, so we're not going to go after it. There was a lot to go after in Mormonism. We did it. But the ministries always, always, always maintain that there are LDS people who are better Christians than we ever hoped to be, that if people wanted to remain LDS, they could. We've always said it. And that we just want to know if people knew Jesus through spiritual rebirth. Then we turned our gun and we pointed it at evangelicals. And we applied the very same thinking. We criticized the heck out of evangelicals, especially the name it and claim it, the uh, faith healers, uh, the Christian rock concerts, and pastors who preach tithes and legalism went after them hard. Uh, but just as we did with the LDS, we admitted that there are people at the Jesus concerts, there's faith healers, claimed faith healers, and there's name it and claim it people who are better Christians than we ever hoped to be. We've gone after the institution, challenging prosperity teachings, bigger is better mentalities, all that stuff. Then we started and we moved into bigger issues, right? And we took a sword to some super sacred cows, including cows that have wandered and chewed on the grassy hills of Christianity for millennia. Calvinism, Arminianism, then the Trinity, and then we questioned eternal punishment, and we talked about eschatology, which we're continuing to talk about this week. We moved into Sola Scriptura, and then we examined the place and purpose of the Bible itself. Uh, we took a baseball bat and swung at anything and everything that believers used to define themselves and divide over, and I think we did a fairly good job of proving that God, God, has by virtue of the variableness of all this stuff, God has given a lot of leeway in what defines a real believer and what defines what some people call orthodoxy or orthopraxis and what the faith is actually built upon. We've really tried to challenge the heck out of that. And in the end, all these factors and the differences that people take on them prove that Christianity is not objectively packaged up and decided upon by self-appointed policy cops or doctors of theology, but is really, in the end of it all, entirely subjective. God was able to effectively do this because nobody was able, in the face of our questions, give us a biblical evidence or response to certain things. Now, I know there are those who are screaming right now, what are you talking about? We've given you great answers to your things. Nobody has been able to answer or give us questions. Nobody can provide us with biblical passages to support the idea from the Bible that this book was written to us today. There's not a passage in it that says this was written for people today. There are some, there's, a, there's like two I can think of that allude to it, but I mean, I'm talking about direct passages that say it. There's not one, no one's done it. Secondly, 
Nobody can show that it was the New Testament that guided believers in Jesus from 70 AD all the way up to 1550 because we never ever agreed upon what the Bible was until that time. And it wasn't even being printed then. It wasn't even available then. So nobody can say it's what guided the church. Nobody. Thirdly, nobody can refute the New Testament language that tells us that God has written his laws upon the hearts of believers. You cannot refute that. It's in about six, six different places strongly in the New Testament that in, the, in these days he would write his laws upon our hearts not in stone, not with paper and ink, okay? So we have this kind of interjection of God into the individual now, and that he has been calling from the world masses people who are seekers of him in spirit and in truth, and they, he makes them part of their body. Nobody on earth can set forth a body of doctrines that all believers agree upon which only proves that doctrines don't save us, but faith. Nobody. When they do, they become cultic. They become religious institutions. They say, we have all the answers, but really good, faithful Christians outside of those walls disagree with them. So nobody has ever presented a body of doctrine or theology that says, we all accept this. It has yet to happen. Fifth, nobody can produce a brick-and-mortar institution that has not been corrupted. They're all corrupt, including this one, campus. There's corruption at some level. We're human beings. I get lazy. People don't want to show up. There's corruption. I might teach something that's off. It's wrong. But God has written it on our hearts of individual believers, and he's kept his body together in that way. But every single Christian institution has become corrupt. Everyone and is corrupt. Nobody can produce a church, this is six, that governs perfectly according to the New Testament model. There is not one out there because the best and most devout models differ from each other. You take a really good, close model, brick and mortar model, they do baptisms differently than another one that's really, really close. And they'll say the way they do baptism is vital to salvation. So we can't get a brick and mortar to give us any kind of sampling that's biblically sound and say this is how you do it. And finally, those who still claim the New Testament provides us with the model on how to govern and operate our brick and mortar churches. I need to see the one that does everything by the book. I need to see the one that handles widows, where the women go into church the way it describes, that they don't speak, that their hair is not, that their hair is braided or not cut, that the men, I mean, all these different cultural things, I have yet to see a church. Now, I know I served a mission where people tried the Amish, but they messed up. No one's got it. And so I present you with the passages that perfectly describe the purpose of all of us. The purposes that have always existed. These have been written long ago. Are you ready to hear them? We don't just recite them. We mean them in every sense of the word. Looking at anyone and everyone in this world who professes Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Mormon, Catholic, 
Baptist, Baha'i, Christian Scientists, Seventh-day Adventists, Orthodox Presbyterians, Calvinists, Methodists, Lutherans, you name it. We read the following and I, we assign it to them. You ready? Ephesians 4.11. And he, God, gave some apostles in Jesus' day and some prophets, Old Testament, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for, for, why has he given them? For the perfecting of the saints, wherever they're found, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until, here we go, until we all come, one, to a unity in the faith, there's the first one, till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, till we all come unto a perfect man, until we all come unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is. All of this was given, this book, everything that's come before us, everything to bring everybody in these areas to bring us to a unity of the faith, not a unity of the knowledge, not a unity of the doctrine, the unity of the faith, right? Verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. Now let me tell you in scripture, do you know how Paul describes children in the faith? He says they're identified by the strife and the fighting and the, and the wars that they have with each other in the church. That's how you tell babes in Christ. So he says that we be no, henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, however, instead, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, all believers from every approach, the whole body, he says, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Coming together in love and truth, speaking and teaching truth and love, and in the way and performing in the way we were made to perform in the body, is what he says maketh increase of the body, we become highly effective and productive unto the edifying of itself in love. In what? Not in doctrine, not in approach, not in practice, not rituals, but in love. But in love. But in love. People have faith in Jesus. People love. People grow. So we use that as the litmus test. Okay? Listen. Catholics <coughs> have had millions of people who love the Lord Jesus. They call him uh, their Lord and Savior. They spend a lot of time seeking after him. They had institutionally their shot at the religion and they failed. Okay? The people are just there loving Jesus, but the institution has failed. The Protestant Reformation, with all the millions in its ranks, who love Jesus and love the Lord as a collective of separate institutions have failed. 
They fight. They put people to death, ancient, or not anciently, but back in the early days, Protestant Reformation. It's been a fail institutionally. The believers when it have not. The Restorationists, like the Church of Christ, Alexander Campbell, or the Mormons, too, many in there have had a love for Jesus, the Lord and Savior, but their institutions have failed. And for all kinds of reasons, all of these plus many more continue to exist, but none of them have come to a unity of the faith. And every time there's an attempt to come to a unity of the faith, people cry, ecumenism! Oh, this is horrible! One world nation, devils! Ah! And all this stuff. It's exactly what we're supposed to do, come to a unity of the faith, and yet we resist it at every single turn. That's someone else in control resisting that unity of the faith, I believe. But they have, these institutions have allowed themselves to continue to stand and say, we're the ones. Come to us. And so we have this infighting among the institutions. To the exclusion of all others, it's just not true. And it will never, ever be true as long as any institution thinks their views and their practices are perfect or they are better or righter and that all who differ with them are wrong. We will never come to this unity of the faith. For the body to become a unity of the faith and therefore stronger in this world, a place where, we want, where children may want to come and teens may want to go to later, it has to become a place in the future where believers are allowed to disagree in love. They're allowed to teach different things and think different things in love, joined together in Christ, where people are allowed to subjectively pursue God through Christ in whatever way they wish and to begin to love as he loves. Listen, everything God has used and allowed, he has allowed. This has all been there. He's known it's there. Can't we look with love and appreciation on all these different periods of time and these people and these groups and what they've contributed to the body rather than assassinate each other? Listen, Judaism did its part. Scripture says it brought forth the oracles of God, it brought forth the prophets, and it brought forth the Messiah. What a wonderful contribution to the body of Christ. But we also see how the law can destroy and how it can become something so insidious that it becomes the, the religion instead of what God wanted the first two great commandments. The apostolic church gave us a fantastic model of what it means to walk in the faith under the pressure of being destroyed at any time. It gave us examples of that, but it also taught us great lessons on division and strife and to avoid that internally or else you'll be uh, eradicated by the enemy. Catholicism has given us a rich heritage, a lot of theology, St. Augustine and all these guys, a lot of great theology. They've given us a lot of ritual. There are many people who love that ritual, who love the Lord. They want that ritual, let them have that ritual. Um, but at the same time, Catholicism has illustrated many of the dangers of top-down authority. Catholicism has given us uh, the problem of mixing faith and state, church and state. And we see what happens when we do that through Catholicism. And it's given us uh, the fail that happens when men insert themselves in between the relationship the individual has and God. When priests do that, we have seen through Catholicism the problems that come up. So we take the lessons from them, but we take the good too. Protestants in all of its form gave the world a shot in the arm of grace. 
grace, faith. I mean, what a wonderful thing to call from the scripture and bring out in the face of, of a religion that was really decrepit at that time. And say, look at we are saved by grace through faith. But at the same time, Protestant has shown us firsthand how scripture is not for private interpretation, that doctrines divide, that there's absolutely no set model here in this for us to follow, and we can't ostracize people if they don't. Mormonism and some of the lesser known restorationist faiths took us to the other end of the spectrum. And you know what they did? They said, we've seen it all in the past. Of, and, and so let me tell you, we're going to tell you what the value of clean living is. We're going to tell you what the value is of order. We're going to tell you what the value is to wise financial management. Now, I think they worship the almighty dollar, to tell you the truth, at the top. But I think people benefit by that at the, at the lower levels and at the ward and things like that. And so we can't just cast it all away. We have to say everybody has thrown something into this pot that we can take from with Christ Jesus being the center, Lord and Savior, and we can pull from those things and we can take the bad and discard it. We can take the good and use it. In all the examples I just gave, the negatives were produced by the institutions themselves and the men and women who put themselves in charge of the institutions, but the salt of the earth believers who abide in faith, who love God through Christ, they've made up the real body. So the institutions have set themselves around and in those things have been the real body, all believing and seeing things different doctrinally. Until we all come, that's what it says, to a unity of the faith. And that unity and the faith has to be in Christ Jesus. So we have a unity there. Do you believe that he's Lord? Do you believe he's Savior? Yes, I do. The only way we can come to this state, the only way we'll survive against the godless, mocking Jesus people who we have to love will be when we allow others the right to worship God and pursue Jesus as they see fit according to the dictates of the spirit on their conscience. Acknowledging that what each individual chooses to do and be and believe is between them and God. In the end, pastors aren't going with them to heaven. Until individuals in the cause and name of the love for the king are willing to die, for, die to denominational prejudices and let God and his spirit manage the rest, we will forever be at odds with each other. And I think darkness loves it. And I think it's ridiculous. I've tested it. And a divided kingdom can't stand as proven by both the institutional approach to church and the every man for himself approach to church as well. So I certainly have opinions on matters. I teach them. And most of you differ with most of them. That's okay. Uh, that's your choice. And I see things the way I see them. But I will forever defend not only my right to see and believe and to teach what I think, but I ardently support every person's right to do the same and to recognize an obligation in Christ to treat everyone with love and acceptance in the cases where Jesus is admitted to the conversation to treat them as my brothers and sisters. When Jesus is admitted to the conversation, they are our brothers and sisters. And you want to get these asses who say, that's not the right Jesus. Give people time. Let them have some time to figure it out. And in truth and love, share the Jesus you know if he's different. But give them time. 
Show me a Latter-day Saint who claims Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and I will show you a brother or sister in him. Not in man-made religion, but in him. Show me a Catholic who claims Jesus is Lord and Savior. I'll show you my brother or sister. Show me a charismatic, a, sensation, a sensationalist, a Trinitarian, a oneness Pentecostal, on and on and on. Show me a collar-wearing, crop-haired, lesbo, Episcopalian pastor who claims Jesus Lord and Savior, and I will show you my sister. Because that's our duty to each other, is to love each other into truth, and if they don't accept the truths that we think we have, think, remember, that we have, we love anyway, and we let God work out the differences and the details. That's the Christianity that makes sense to me. This other stuff doesn't. Till we all come to a unity of the faith. Doctrine can't divide us. It's Jesus' church. We can't police the hearts. We can't police the minds of other people. We can't police their day-to-day -day activities. We don't know what people do. So God has said, love. That's what he said. Let me take it one step further. We'll go to the phone lines. Uh, while I would not include those who exclude Jesus from their hearts as my family or brothers or sisters, I will love them as they are and as best as I can. I will accept them where they are and in love, trusting that God will, through his spirit, reach them eventually. Am I teaching that all ways and beliefs lead to God? No. Am I teaching universalism? No. Not in the least. I am saying that we can teach whatever we want and consider it as good as everything else. Am I teaching that? No, I'm not teaching that. Go to any campus, www.campuschurch.tv and watch what we do on Sundays. You'll hear a clear, fairly clear, I think, approach to scripture and what it says, why it says it, and how to interpret it from my perspective. And so I'm not saying, oh, it doesn't matter. I am saying teach, but we have to get along. We work really, really hard at that, but we teach error and I teach mistakes. And so do your pastors and so does your denomination. We don't know. It's time, my friends. It's time to come to a unity of the faith. I know it's terrifying. I know people think, no, 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 it's my job to correct everybody. Uh, even broaching the subject is difficult. But as we let selfless, self-effacing, Jesus-focused love reign, these divisionary things will fade. And as they do, Jesus will more and more step into the gaps between us. And he'll bring us to that unity of faith that Paul recommends that we come to. And that's the reason for the ministry and for the church. Let's open up the phone lines. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. When we come back, we have an off-air question. We have uh, emails and we'll take a look at this new spot.
Uh, Off-air question. I saw an interesting documentary which described in detail how John of Patmos was not the same Apostle John, son of Zebedee, as many evangelicals believe. In the documentary, there was a writing expert who was very convincing that the Apostle to Jesus, John, could not have written the book of Revelation, and therefore John of Patmos was a different John. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Well, I don't know. I've heard of it. Uh, I haven't seen the documentary, and I'm not an expert on the life of John. I do know that Revelation was up in the air in terms for a long time, all the way out to the 1500s, as to whether it should be included. Some people called it an apocryphal writing, uh, and they were very good believers. Uh, so I, but I would say this, pursue it, check it out, see what you've got, look into it, and, uh, and go from there. Uh, and, and part of the problem with that idea is that apostolic writings are what make up the New Testament. It was the fact that they were called as witnesses and that they were called to do all the things that they've done. So to bring in someone who is not John uh, the Apostle and say that someone else wrote the revelation, uh, if it's true, let's say it. And then maybe we can cut that revelation out because it doesn't belong there if it wasn't from an apostle. We have apostolic writings or apostolically endorsed writings. But that's the problem with it, is that it throws into question whether it should be there. It was finally accepted, but we have to be honest with each other. It, through early church history, revelation was sometimes included and more often than not, more often not included. Okay, uh, uh, got a really good email from Adam, and it says this. I really want to understand Christian subjectivity because I think that there, you might be onto something here. If I seem like I'm lashing out, it's only because I want to settle things in my mind by asking tough questions that I can fathom and see how they can be answered by someone who thinks differently than I do. I think that's really a healthy way to approach things. Let me start with something basic a breakdown question of the previous emails I've sent. If we are free to believe our own interpretation of God's word by virtue of his spirit in us, automatic when we claim faith in him, he says, then, what mean, then that means none of these details matter, right? But we can't all be right, right, he says? The Calvinist believes that the Arminian is incorrect and vice versa. What if the diversity of interpretations of God's word is not a sign that Christianity is subjective, but instead that tons of people do not really have the Holy Spirit in them and are therefore misguided? Many who say, Lord, Lord, even those who perform miracles are supposedly not really saved according to scripture, he says. Do you know how badly I would love to believe that every Christian is my brother? I hate divisions based on petty things, but I also know that there are some things worth dividing over. I just want to make sure I know which is which. Okay, so let me, let me just say this. What is worth dividing over? What is worth it? I, I ask that in all honesty. Really think about it. What is worth taking an established church or two brothers and sisters who love each other in the Lord and parting company? I want to know that. Some people will say, well, if they're homosexual, you do that. I'm not parting company with someone because they're a homosexual. They should see what goes through my brain sometimes. 
So I'm not doing that. You can do it. That's your choice, but I'm not gonna. Some will say, well, how you describe God. You tell me how we describe God. You're gonna tell me you have the right understanding of God perfectly, and if I don't agree with it, we divide? Most people would. How you understand Jesus? I mean, we had a big thing over the Trinity when I said, look at the term Father, capital F, isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. He wasn't a father until he had a son, and then we came up with a father-son relationship. That can't be disproven. We have no Jesus in the Old Testament. We have certainly the Word of God that was made flesh later, but there's no Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay? So these types of things, we can divide forever over them. What? Baptism? What are we going to divide over? How often you do communion? Are we going to divide over women speaking in the church? How will you know? I would say you can't really divide over anything. I would say our obligation is to believe and to say, I'm going to act in love. Now, some people say, well, I don't have faith in Christ. When would be more important for you to hang out with someone than when someone has once had faith in Christ and then they lose it? Because they've lost faith in Christ, you would divide then? Or would you divide because they never had faith in Christ? Then how do you do missional outreach? I'm just trying to suggest, let me think, let me go through with this with me really quickly. God's laws and his ways are entirely objective. They are completely, um, what you would say, deontological. That means that they are predicated not on the fact that they produce results, which is teleological, but deontological means they are what they are. God says it, that's what it is. So we try to, we take what he says and we try to make things teleological. Well, this is, well, this is why we obey this. It's because it works for us in this way in our favor. But really his laws to us are deontological. They just are. So they're not subjective in any way. We can't, uh, but the problem is human beings are incapable of comprehending fully Joseph Smith said he, 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 he kind of could. Other religious leaders, Swedenborg, sort of tapped into a mystical and thought they could sort of encap capture a lot of it, and they understood things that we don't. But what human being can comprehend all of the absolutes from God? We have differences in intelligence, education, spiritual insights, wisdom, maturity in our walk, upbringing, prejudices. All of those things are there, and so none of us are really going to comprehend these absolutes, these deontological absolutes that God has in the same way. That's this not possible. So therefore, we cannot expect to agree, and we cannot expect to be right. All we can expect to do is walk by faith, which is very different from science, to walk by faith and love as commanded. That's what we can do. Now we have minds and we seek him and we study scripture and we talk and we, and we, all that stuff, sure. That's how we get to know who God is better and better through the word. But by golly, we are never gonna come to a unity of the faith through knowledge. We will come to a unity of the faith through love. And so God does not save us or love us based on our being right. He saves us or loves us based on our faith and trust. Hebrews says we can't please him without faith. And so 
we have to step back off all these arguments and say, look, I certainly don't agree with the wafer in that gold thing that the Catholics wave around or their incense. Just like I don't agree with tithing, but gosh, I love those people who, who love the Lord and do believe it. Let's get along, okay? So I hope that answers your question. We have Tom in Carthage, Missouri. <laughs> it's this guy again. Carthage, Missouri. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? How are you, Sean? I'm doing well. All right. Hey, a um, couple of things. Uh, let's see. First of all, um, you know, I've been listening to what you were saying just a minute ago. Um, you know, Jesus, he sat down with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and ate with them and talked with them. And, you know, uh, we as Christians, I think anyone that is fallen away from God or, um, or um, who has lost their faith in God, I think even more so as a Christian, we should be showing them compassion and love and, and be a witness for them. Yeah. You know, rather than turning them away. Um, let's see. Uh, real quick question. Tom, before you go to the question, let me just make a comment. Yes. Uh, uh huh. What Christians do is they take the New Testament epistles of Paul, who says, don't even open your door to them or bid them Godspeed and don't break bread with them and things like that. But that's the problem with taking this historical book in the context of what they were under and him writing those letters to those people and applying it to our day. So I just want to offset anyone who's sitting there and thinking, well, the word says that we, you know, that was Paul talking at that time. So I just wanted to clarify that, Tom, and your question. Right. Uh, my question is this, Sean. Uh, <clears throat> I've read some of the Book of Mormon, and I've read some of the Koran, um, different things like that. And, you know, people always tell me, oh, you know, this is closer to the Bible than you're ever going to get, you know, and everything. And I, and I read these books, and I'm like, how in the world, you know, I'm not that smart. But when I read the Bible, I know it's real. I know it's true. Uh, when I read these other books, like the Koran and, and the Book of Mormon, I just don't, I just don't understand how anybody with, you know, a, that's smarter than me, uh, you know, gets those and not the Bible. I don't know what your feelings of it are, is or anything, but that's my question. Sort of. Well, that's a good one, Tom. You know, um, and it's difficult. Remember, I was just talking about people's educational background and their environment and their upbringing and the things that they've been exposed to. Uh, Steve Hassan, I think his name is, he's the guy who came up with that um, bite model of how totalistic methodologies are used upon people to conform our thinking. Uh, and he borrowed from Robert J. Lifton, who did a study of communist China. And so what happens is there's a lot of factors going into, you could look at it like a hub and a spoke, and there's a hundred different spokes coming into why we are true believers. By the way, Eric Hoffer wrote a book, The True Believer, which every single person should read. It will almost destroy your faith uh, in anything, but read it with the Bible and you'll, you should be okay as long as the Holy Spirit's with you. But it, it, it's, they are, we are presented with a package and we are searching for truth and there are truths in the Quran, and there are truths in the Book of Mormon, 
and we see what we're looking for and they resonate to those things. It's like why the, uh, the, that, that Japanese cult that put sarin in the subways, they said that like 90% of those people had PhDs. Very smart people. But so we can be beguiled by, by seeking out and finding the things we want to find. And that's why Jesus said God seeks those who want to pursue him in spirit and in truth. They don't want their own prejudices to be confirmed. They don't want their own lifestyle to be improved by accepting Mormonism because it's a great uh, uh, institution. He wants people who say, I want the truth. And so those people see differently. They're not blinded by the prince of this world. And that, that's the only way I can explain why when you read the Book of Mormon or the Quran or other things, you say, I get nothing from this, but when I read the Bible, I do. And that's, that's how I would answer it. I believe that's true. But uh, how does that, does that help at all? I think so, yes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of very influential uh, things out there. And, you know, if the Book of Mormon didn't present some good, solid things, uh, it's doubtful it would have gotten the legs it's gotten. Like the Urantia has been around forever. That thing's almost incomprehensible, at least to me. I tried to read it, and it hasn't gotten nearly the legs. So these books do offer something. To the Nation of Islam, the Koran has offered them a lot of structure, gave them something to make them a people. People glommed onto that. So our job, again, to reiterate, love those people. Bring them into what you see as truth. Let them differ and just have patience and long-suffering until they come to a full understanding and a unity of the faith. Right, right. Oh, it's just, it's, when, I, when I see somebody hooked in, into that realm, so to speak, just, it just breaks my heart, you know? I mean, I just, it really saddens me to see how that they're just really fallen and fallen for um, something that's just not true. Yeah. You know? not true to, to God's word. And, and that just, it just, it really bothers me. <laughs> but, really and, bothers. And, and I understand what you're saying, but Tom, remember how many people read the Bible and they pull out from that things like child beating, you know, spoil, uh, spare the rod, spoil a child. And so they beat their children, you know, so we can even have the truth and misinterpret that greatly. So it's gotta be not just the book, but the spirit guiding the reader of the book. Enough, yeah. Enough. Thanks, my friend. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Thank God, you, Sean. God bless. Bye-bye. This is from Angela. She says, uh, I've been a born-again Christian for many years, and I've become jaded towards organized religion. I was raised a Baptist, but left the church after they started leaning heavy towards Calvinism. And some taught that Jesus turned water into grape juice versus wine because they didn't want the congregation to drink alcohol. For the longest time, I didn't realize that that was part of the miracle, you know, the quickness with which the fermentation occurred. It'd be not a big miracle to turn it into just grape juice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, for the longest time, I didn't realize that I was becoming hateful and arrogant as the people whose views I opposed. I prayed that God, uh, I would find a church where I could fit in. Needless to say, because of my arrogance, he didn't answer me right away. I had a pretty tainted view of Mormonism. In the 1980s, I read a book, The God Makers, and afterwards I was shocked and appalled, and I thought Mormons were terrible, and I treated them like lepers. And I'm ashamed to admit this now. For the last 48 months, I've been 
uh, glued to the computer watching episodes of your website, and the wow moment came when uh, weeks earlier I had been searching the internet for answers after watching a Scientology movie, Going Clear. That's a great film. Anybody who has Netflix or ever else, you get it. Going Clear is a fantastic investigative report into Scientology, and it's really, really comparative to other religious applications that many of us have experienced. I just couldn't understand. This is the same question he just asked, how intelligent people could get sucked into something like that. A self-admitted introvert, I always thought love bombings was a big turnoff, and so the need for acceptance in an organization never appealed to me. I also couldn't understand how people could believe lies and not research their organizations. I didn't realize they were trapped. They were trapped. I arrogant believe that people that got sucked into mind control groups were reaping what they sowed. We all th have thought that. And, and if we've come out of one of them, we look down on this. You know, we start looking down on them. Oh, you're so dumb. Why can't you believe? I mean, open your eyes, you fool. We were the same way. It's no different. Again, I'm ashamed of my arrogance. You preached love of others was a mandate from God, but I didn't, couldn't understand what love meant till now. The wow moment came when I quit hating and began truly loving others again. I have not yet had the chance to talk to an LDS nurse friend of mine about the, love, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm now ready to let the Lord lead me in that. And so um, the question is, can you hate um, what a person believes in with all your heart and love them with all your heart at the same time. And it's really hard to do. And so sometime you might disconsider this. You might give up on hating what they believe, realizing it's just blindness and, and you feel sorry for people and try to love them into the things that have made you free. Because when you really hate with all your might what they believe and teach, which I've been there, you know that, it's hard not to start to kind of hate the people who embrace it. And that is a fail. That's a major fail in our, in our walk. Uh, so coming up this Friday, you can tune in streaming here from 7 to 9, Dr. Don Preston, and uh, call in with your questions. Watch. Then on Saturday morning from 9 to 11 a.m., he'll be doing more of the same, not the same, but more of the same. And then Saturday night from 6.30 to probably 8.30, we'll be streaming again. And you can watch a live debate with Dr. Preston and Pastor Jason Wallace. And uh, different views. We love them both. And in fact, I think I'm finding as we go that, that poor Dr. Preston does not agree with many things I believe in. <laughs> but he certainly we certainly agree on preterism. And so that's why he's here. Tune in and join us. If not, join us next week or come to campus and join us on Sundays. Go to campuschurch.tv. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This 
This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start. 